First Peter. Um, RP read that for us beautifully this morning, the whole section, wives and husbands and the suffering of Christ beforehand. And so um, I will simply pray and then we'll start. And what I'm going to do for the prayer is, as I did last week, we'll just be praying that God will speak to our hearts, especially those of us who are husbands. May we be humble and receptive. So let's, um, I'll just read those words that we've just sung out again and we'll bow our heads and we'll make it our prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. We pray that you'll take your truth and plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. And teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, and true humility. Test our thoughts, test our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority and words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. And speak, O Lord, renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, We will stand on your promises and by faith we will walk as you walk with us. So speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Amen. That's a powerful prayer for before we come to any passage of the word, um, least of all one like this. Ladies, you might feel hard done by. You've got six verses and the guys only get one. But I do believe that when we understand, uh, when we understand what is being said here, that we will see that these two passages are very parallel, that the degree to which they challenge our pride, our sinfulness, our selfishness is no less um, than either of the other ones, that they are in so many ways equal. Last week, um, I started my sermon with the structure that we had previously seen um, in our uh, sermon on the alphabet of lament, and I'm going to do the same again today. I want to try and keep these messages as parallel as I can. And there's a lot in the text that suggests that I should be doing that. And the reason is, is because verse 7 begins with the word likewise. I don't know how many years I read First Peter and completely missed this. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have as well. That some people will look at First Peter 7, uh, chapter 3 and verse 7. And they'll think, oh, here's a few instructions to a husband. But it's not as simple as that. We've had in verse, uh, uh, let me look, verse 13 of chapter 2, the command to be subject, to submit to 
every human institution for the Lord's sake. In chapter 2 and verse 18, we have servants being subject to their masters with all respect. We've seen that the reason for this is that we have been called to it, verse 21, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow in his steps. And that example is that he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. There was no reviling. And there was no threatening when he suffered. But rather that he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And then when we come to wives, it says, likewise. In the same way that Christ suffers, you are to suffer in that way too. In the same way that though that we are to submit to authorities and servants are to submit to masters, you are to submit. Likewise. The likewise for the wives speaks of two things. Suffering and the way in which we suffer and submission. And I propose to you today that the likewise for husbands is doing exactly the same thing. It is speaking of suffering and submission. You say, hold on a second. Don't wives submit to husbands? Husbands don't submit to wives. No, but they do submit to God. And it is hard. It is hard when you suffer. And that is the context. And therefore, like last week, in a parallel, we're going to start with the alphabet of lament. The biblical way to lament is to start with A, which is acknowledgement. We in the church today are terrible at letting people express their pain. We shut people up. We say to people, oh, don't be a victim. We don't allow for people to suffer and to express that suffering. So is it any wonder that people bottle it up and don't address it? The Bible speaks of the acknowledgement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms are full of such acknowledgments. Now, last time, I referenced a couple of verses that um, brought a little snigger. They often do. In Psalm 20, uh, sorry, Proverbs 21 and verse 9, it says, Better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Then 10 verses later, better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. What is interesting is that the first of those verses, the verse 9, is actually repeated word for word in chapter 25 and verse 24. It's actually repeated. Now, I get why those can seem humorous. I get that. But let's not belittle the point here. The point is simply this. That if you are a husband whose wives would completely ignore everything that Peter said in the previous six verses. If you are a husband whose wife does not submit to God and does, therefore does not submit to you, if you have a wife who thinks that she 
can control you and she should control you and she should try and change you and she does so with words of harshness and manipulation and she does so through controlling you with her behavior and silent treatment and withholding relations with you and all sorts of tricks and manipulations to basically be in charge in a multitude of different ways while perhaps giving lip service to submission then you can very quickly find yourself in a place where you do not want to be in that home and it is miserable and you would literally rather live on top of the house than be at home. I know of guys who would drive home and sit around the corner and pray and sob in a car before going home because they don't want to be at home because of how they're made to feel and how they're treated. They want to escape, they want to be anywhere else. And in an ungodly environment, in an environment without Christians, an environment without submission to the word, an environment without the Bible, then that's where men wander off and they go and commit all sorts of sins. And they are bad for doing that. That is sinful. That is wicked that they would leave their wives, that they would, they would go off and live separate lives, that they would be unfaithful. But there is at the same time an environment created where everything within them is saying, I don't want to be there. When the ten verses later in Proverbs, it speaks of a desert land. It is a progression of the text. Because in a desert land, there is barely enough food to get by. In a desert land, there is wilderness, there are dangerous animals. It is not a place for habitation. And yet the man says... I'd rather be there struggling to be alive than to live with fruitfulness, with prosperity in this house because of how I feel and how I'm being treated. So let's, as we did last week, let us acknowledge that the suffering for a husband who is disrespected is the same and is as great as a woman who is unloved. That when a woman doesn't do what God commands of her, there is a suffering of the man that is huge and is great. And sadly, in our culture, men so often have been trained to not talk. That's why, for men under the age of 40, the most common cause of death is suicide. Men don't talk. Men don't express and don't share. And like I said last time with regards to the wives... There needs to be a place for acknowledgement that we as church leadership and we as a church community are allowed to happen where people um, are allowed to acknowledge their pain and their suffering. But acknowledging your pain can simply lead to sin if all you see and all you behold is your pain. We are responsible. Jesus set that example. When he suffered, he committed no sin. No matter how hard your life is, no matter how great your suffering is, no sin is justified. That's the one thing that's so clear in all of these passages. What we need to do is not so much behold our situation once we've acknowledged it, but take that acknowledgement and behold our God. God is greater. God is bigger then our suffering, then our problems. And also, our God gave us an example in Christ that he did not commit sin. He did not deceive. He did not revile. And he did not threaten in the face of suffering. 
And that's something we're going to come back to in a moment. What he did do is cry out to God. We're familiar with Psalm 22, mostly because Jesus quotes it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a crying out to God. And that is the one to whom we must cry out. Yes, we are, if we're being treated badly, we're being treated badly. Yes, if we're suffering, we're suffering. Let's not pretend that's not the case. But we look at who God is and we recognize that God is the one who can resolve things and change things. And so we cry out to him. And that's something that Peter is taking us to. And I didn't mention this last time with the ladies, but... That's where he comes, and the real conclusion of this entire book, halfway through chapter 5, is to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. We are commanded to take our anxieties, our suffering, acknowledge them, bring them to God, seeing who he is, knowing that he can help, and to cry out to him. And so acknowledge, behold, and cry out is our ABC, and our DEF is do what's right and endure faithfully. Guys, if you are suffering, if you are in a situation where your wife is not living according to the word, and you are therefore suffering because of that, what do you do? Peter tells us. And so that's where we're going to be in verse 7. By the way, as we look at verse 7 here, isn't it interesting that when we have one of the principles of marriage, Ephesians 5 is where we always go, isn't it? Written by Paul. And then Peter, who, as we understand, was in a marriage through his apostleship, tells us about the nitty-gritty realities and the practicalities of marriage. So look at verse 7. Likewise. So husbands, you're suffering. And I think there's, a, there's an implication here as well of submission. Likewise, husbands, live, I think better dwell, that's the word, with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Let's break this down very, very slowly. Okay? When the problems that can exist for a husband are presented by those verses in Proverbs and elsewhere, the issue is one of dwelling. Better to be on a rooftop than to dwell in the house, to share the house. Better to be in the desert than to dwell in the house. For, for guys, there is this desire, as there is for women, to change your situation to change your situation now for us to understand this word well before I apply it I want us to turn to Psalm 37 Psalm 37 there's going to be a lot here that's going to be helpful for, for you guys but also for ladies as well I think this applies to both passages but um, perhaps a little more so to the guys Psalm 37, Psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, 
So in the situations presented to us in 1 Peter 3, that can be husbands or wives or both. For this context. For soon they will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. There's that doing good from the Psalms. When you are suffering, when there are evildoers, when there are those who are treating you badly, what you do is you trust in God. Jesus didn't revile, he didn't threaten, he trusted in God who is going to judge justly. Same for us. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Do what's good. And then he says this. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. What the text is saying is this. It's saying in those days, God had promised the land to Israel. Was Israel living in the land? Not all of it. They didn't take all the borders that were originally given in the promises of the covenant to Abraham. There was, in so many ways, imperfections. Imperfections in the borders of the land that they had. Imperfections in regards to those who were dwelling in the land. The land was not what was ultimately promised. The land wasn't full of the glory of God. The Messiah's not ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. The land is imperfect. And nonetheless, the command is to dwell in where you have currently been given and to befriend faithfulness. To become someone who is faithful with the imperfections that you've been given. Dwell in that land and learn to be someone who is faithful. Verse 4 tells us how we do that. Delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, there's those who are doing wrong against you. There's those who are making your life miserable. And yet what you're going to do is you're going to stay and you're going to dwell. And you're going to learn to be faithful in what you've been given. And you are going to find your delight in Yahweh. You're going to find your delight in Christ. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's interesting as that passage goes on, some great words here. Commit your way to Yahweh, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before Yahweh, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, Fret not yourself, it only tends, uh, it tends only to evil. Three times it's repeated. If you're going to trust God, if you're going to wait on the Lord, you need to not fret, not worry, don't be angry, don't be wrathful. Trust God. Guys, this is hard. Christian men have been taught that women should submit and they should lead. That is something that I will tell you from bitter experience is very unhelpful advice. Wives submit, husbands love. And, and, and men, with the, sometimes the best will in the world, 
are like what? She's not submitting. Well, I guess I'm in charge and I'm going to need to make sure she does submit. And sometimes that can be manipulation. Sometimes it can be harsh words. A lot of the time it can be anger. Why is she not doing that? Why is she treating me this way? And Paul's commands of what the Christian life looks like, humility, kindness, gentleness, these things get forgotten about in the moment, and with all that, with all that frustration and with all that, that hurt, and there is hurt. Peter is writing to people who are hurt, who are being sinned against. And when he says to them, dwell, like with Psalm 37, there is an understanding that the land that you've been given is imperfect. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think any man in this church has a perfect wife. Just a wild guess. No one does. But what men do is they want to be on the rooftop. And maybe with good reason. And they want to be in the desert. And maybe with good reason. The Bible, after all, says that it's better there. And in many ways it is. But what are you commanded to do? There is a single verse here, a single sentence, and a single command. And the command is to dwell. Guys, we don't get to run off. We don't get to check out. We don't get to leave. We don't get to go away until she improves. We don't get to hide in the man cave or the local bar or wherever else men traditionally go. We have to dwell. Understanding that God has given us that land that person, that imperfect situation that he is sovereign over, and we're learning to delight in God who gives that land. That's the command. And I think for us as guys, and I think this will become clearer as we start to see the modifiers of that command, for us as guys, particularly in our church circles, because... We are told, you're the leaders. You've got to be strong leaders, men. Hey, men, are you leading your family? Be leader, lead, lead, lead. And because lead is said ten times more than love is, it's very easy for us to become angry men when we're hurt. It's very easy for us to speak harshly when we're hurt. It's very easy for us to cause harm when we're hurt. But we're specifically commanded to dwell in a certain way. Look at what it says. The text says, to live or to dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Now, literally in the Greek, and again, I'm not a fan of this translation at this point hugely, it literally says to dwell with understanding. So the way in which we're going to dwell, the way in which we're going to live with our wives, is we're going to do so with understanding. 
Okay? Now, some texts here will say, oh, does that mean understanding God in the sense that look at the example of Christ? And I guess there's an element of that here. But there are parallels with the wife passage. In the wife's passage, it specifically says that they are to live in a certain way. How are they to live? Respectful and pure conduct. How are they to live? They're to win without a word. And what's that in relation to? It's in relation to their relationship with their husband. So the commands to how the wife lives, respectful, this quiet spirit, this not manipulating, not controlling, not trying to change him. The, the parallel is here that for husbands, the understanding has to contextually be to do with understanding the wives. Now, I get it. You might say as a guy, well, I understand. She's sinful, hugely problematic, and I understand exactly what's going on, but she doesn't, so let me tell her. That's not what the text is saying. It's not saying that. In fact, understanding what it means by understanding, pun intended, I think is one of the most crucial things to getting this text. Men have often joked over the years that wouldn't it be great if wives came with an instruction manual. I've seen memes of old computer programming manuals that probably reach from the ground to up to your knees and said, here's, here's a simple introduction to how to understand women or some joke like that, you know. It's become a sort of joke over the years, right? And yet, isn't it interesting that God specifically tells a husband who is suffering at, under the hands of an un, uh, a disrespectful and unsubmissive wife, who's trying to control and trying to manipulate, doing, not doing the things that Peter says, that her husband in that situation is not told to stop her. He's not told to rebuke her. He's not told to be angry with her. He's not even told to correct her. He's told to understand her. That's, that's not what most Christian men think they should do. But that's what God commands us to do. I think for us as guys, there are two questions here. And for me, these two questions were two of the hardest things in Scripture I've ever had to wrestle with, to be honest with you. And the first of these questions is this. Why does she sin? Not in the sort of, well, she's a daughter of Adam, theological sense. Not in a, well, when the curse was given in Genesis 3, your desire will be for your husband. She, she's instinctively inclined to... No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, why is she not submitting to you? What I mean is, is in the act of asking this question, we as husbands, if we're in a position of hurt, and I think every one of us are going to be here at some point, on some day, no matter how good our wives are, but when this point comes, when we feel hurt, that for us to put aside the urge to correct, the urge to fix, the urge to express our anger, 
the urge to express our hurt or our frustration, to put all of that aside and to go before our God and say, God, why is she doing this? Because we, at that point, guys, we recognize that we want to correct and we want to fix and we want to change and we want to react. We want to do all of those things because of our hurt. So if she's doing those things, what's hurting her? And if we are loving her, if we are prioritizing her above everything and everyone else, we have to care about that question. And it is so hard to put aside your hurt, to put aside all of those instincts and to say, God, help me understand her. Not in a sort of, oh, women are so confusing, laugh, laugh, nudge, none of that. No, just, God, this individual, help me see her pain. Help me see her struggles. How can I love her in the midst of that? The second question is harder, much, much harder. And it was the one for me that um, just crushed my, crushed my, exposed my pride. <laughs> Hopefully crushed it, but certainly exposed it. The second question, guys, is this. And this is where your pride has to just take a back seat. What have I done to create that hurt? Because if you want to talk about leadership, let's talk about leadership. Jesus Christ committed no sin. There was no deceit, no reviling, no correcting, no saying, hey, you guys are going to suffer when I come back. None of that. There was, there was silence from the man who had the authority. No threatening, no nothing, no how dare you. There was, there was a a walk to the cross because of love. There was seeing sin before him, at him, directed to him. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. The sinless man left us an example. And we need to follow it in every way except one. And the one way we don't follow it is this. We're not sinless. And we cause so many of our own problems. Now, I want to be absolutely clear on this. Absolutely clear. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say it a lot more next week. But we are in church circles where some, of the, some people are so keen on the theology of, uh, of original sin that they come out with nonsense things like, you know, you know you're not a victim, we're all sinners, blah, blah, blah. Listen. Anybody who is sinned against is a victim, and anybody who sins is someone who harms and creates victims. All right? So we're all both, all of us. And when we're sinned against, we are a victim. But if in our hurt we respond in a sinful manner, we create other victims. 
You want to be a Christian leader, men? Be the one who leads by example and says, what hurt have I created? What sin that she does can I help put right by acknowledging and repenting of the pain that I caused her? that led her to sin. Are you responsible for her sin? Oh, no, 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 you're not. She's responsible for her sin. I think we clarified that last week, didn't we? She's responsible for her sin, and you're responsible for your sin. But here's the deal, guys. You're not told to make her submit. You're not told to force her into into anything. You're told to love her. And so, you're going to love her by saying, in your heart... There are all of these sins against me, and I can't control that. But I'm going to try and understand the pain that has led to those sins. And I'm going to ask you, God, to be brutally honest with me and reveal to me the sins that I may have committed that led to that hurt and enable me to repent where I see sin and put those things right, whether forgiveness comes or not. Because that's what I would like done to me. And that's what love is. Such a simple sentence, isn't it? To dwell with understanding. And yet, there's so much there. That's so rich to me. We are to dwell with our wives with understanding. And like I say, I think that's helpful. Certainly helpful to me. Those two questions. Why is she behaving this way? And what part have I played in that? Because you know what? You can talk about what her father did to her or what her childhood trauma did to her or what have you, but I think too many Christian men aren't prepared to acknowledge the trauma that they themselves have caused. And it's a hard thing for us to wrestle with, to acknowledge our sin in that way. The second modifier of our dwelling, which is, again, our one command to dwell with her, not to run away, not to avoid the situation, not to go on the rooftop, not to go in the desert. We are to dwell. We do to do it in an understanding way, firstly. And secondly, we to do it in a way that shows honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Right. You ladies, you thought the awkward stuff for you was last week. There's one again this week. Let me try and wrestle with this, and it's not an easy one, and I disagree with the vast majority of commentators, so let me tell you why. (laughs) Okay? All right. Most commentaries here will say that the wife is the weaker vessel because she's weaker physically. I think that's rubbish. I think that's utter rubbish. Respects to all those great commentary writers who know far more than I. But I think it's rubbish for two reasons. Firstly, I've known plenty of couples where the wife could knock the husband out with, a, with two blows if she put her mind to it. It's not always the case. But secondly, and far more importantly, where is that in the context? The context has got nothing to do with this. It's got nothing to do with physical anything. It's to do, the context of First Peter as a whole is to do with us, how we suffer and how we respond. Is it not? Right? Okay. Now, 
Women, I think, prefer the commentaries when they say that they're weaker physically because most of them will say, well, yeah, I guess I am. And those who aren't say, oh, well, I'm the exception. And, and they can just brush over this awkward passage. Okay? I don't think weaker vessel is saying that. I think it has to be contextually referring to the response system. Okay? I understand that then puts me in a pickle because I'm now in a situation where I might offend a whole bunch of women by suggesting that somehow they're weaker in some sort of emotional or spiritual way. So I need you to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. And I will try and be as clear as is possible. Okay? Deep breath. Okay. We as people have a tendency, men and women, to respond emotionally, instinctively, sinfully to any suffering or hardship we go through. That's clear from First Peter, is it not? Yes? And it is also clear from most of Paul's theology, which Peter is clearly steeped in in everything he's saying in this book, it's also very clear that our sinful nature is part of our body. Part of our body, Right? When a guy feels sinned against, when a guy doesn't want to be in the house anymore, when a guy wants to be on the rooftop or in the desert, in so many situations historically, men have run away. They've left their wives. They've gone. They've gone off and started a relationship with somebody else. They've gone and committed adultery. Has testosterone played a role in that? Yeah, absolutely. Massively so. Castrate them. I'm going to guess there's no more adultery. The body has desires, there are physical desires and there are hormones that run through us and they affect us who we are as individuals and as men and as women distinctively. But that does not justify any sin. Generally speaking, women feel emotionally much deeper. Women are nurturers. The physical makeup of a woman, a woman has breasts for feeding children because she, her job is to nurture a child, to have a bond, to have that connection. Women are designed by God to be more emotional people. The hormonal system of a woman is different to that of a man. And we know that at certain times of the month, the way that a woman responds, for her to respond in a godly manner, is harder than at other times. Does that justify sin? No, but it does give the husband something to understand, does it not? So I think that in, if we understand in that sense, if we see contextually he's talking about responding in weakness, there is a sense where physiologically the woman has a harder struggle, just as a baseline. I think that's what the text is referring to. And let me just say that I think this is a principle that goes way beyond men and women. If somebody comes and they have serious, and I mean serious, childhood trauma, everything in life is harder. Everything. And I get it. There are people in our wing of the church will say, oh, you mustn't have a victim mentality. And, you, you know, you peop these people have got to not sin just like the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely, you're right. They have got to sin, not sin like the rest of us. But can we be understanding? And can we show them honor? And I think that's what the text here is saying. It's saying you have with you guys a woman who feels things so much more. 
It took me, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you here now, it took me a long time to recognise this. If I, as a guy, am having a disagreement with a buddy, and we get a little heated, and I raise my voice, and he raises his voice, we can hug it out and shake it off, and we're good, and we're good, and we're we're out meeting again the next day, and we might find something else to argue about. Right? Took me a long time to learn that that is not the case with my wife. I cannot raise my voice, and there not be consequences deep in her soul. And I've had to repent of that more times than I would like to. What's the answer? Understand and show honour. Understand that the way that she's going to react and respond isn't how you're going to react and respond. And you have a responsibility to know that and to understand that. Now, that puts an onus on the woman as well because, women, there isn't that instruction manual and we have to write it ourselves and learn. And if you won't communicate with your husband and say, I find this difficult, or you only tell him you find it difficult while you're shouting and upset because you're not doing the first six verses, then we don't have an environment where a husband is able to dwell in an understanding way quite as well as he could. So, and we'll talk more about that next time. The environment of communication and what have you that comes through in the next passage. But let me just say this. That husbands, as well as we can, we need to stay, not go away, not check out, not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. We need to dwell. And we need to dwell in a way that understands her and that recognizes that she is a weaker vessel. She feels things differently than we feel things. She often feels things more. She's often wounded by things that wouldn't wound us. That There's times of, of the month that she's going to struggle with things more and we shouldn't put great pressure on her. And we need to just give her space and we need to not burden her. And we we need to show her love in all of these ways of understanding and we need to honor her in that way too many christian men and i lived this way for far too long and caused my wife and myself far too many problems too many christian men think that they have to correct and to rebuke and that's what leadership is it's absolute nonsense it causes damage it causes harm and i do not want you to make the mistakes that i made I want you to understand that the way forward is to understand your wife, to honor your wife, and to dwell with your wife. That's how we live. Honor her as the weaker vessel. So weaker vessel, just to clarify, does mean that some things are more difficult and more of a struggle for women, as are things for other people, depending on what they've been through in life. And I'm just saying this is a nice biblical principle that we honour that and we don't berate them for that. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about allowing for sin, but I am saying that there should be honouring in that weakness and in that moment. Why do we do this? Why do we treat people that way? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I hope that this is clear contextually. Guys, we are horrible sinners who stand before God and can be in his presence day by day, moment by moment, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because Christ has forgiven us for each and every one of our sins. And so when your wife sins against you, 
You know what you're going to do? You're going to forgive her too. You say, well, I can't forgive her. She hasn't repented. Okay, forbear with her then. Endure. Put up with it. Treat her well. Dwell. Understand. Honor. Why do we do this? We do it because this is what God has done for us. We have been shown grace, and so we are going to show grace back. But she's not showing me that grace. No, no, but Jesus is. And he is the one that you're modeling, not your wife. Christ is the one that you follow, not your wife. Christ is the example, not your wife. And I hope that in this week and in last week, the one thing that becomes so clear in all of this is, it doesn't matter how your spouse treats you, what matters is how Christ treats you, and that is your model. Neither one of us, husbands nor wives, have any remit to change our spouses. For women, that's hard because there's this instinctive, your desire will be for your husband. For men, it's hard because we're told that we're supposed to be in control and be strong leaders. But we, none of us, have any remit to change. You know who has a remit to change? God does. God has the remit to change people. What do we have a remit to do? Be obedient to him in the face of suffering. And for husbands, that means dwelling with your wives with understanding, showing honor to the weaker vessel because they're heirs, co-heirs of the grace of life. And now we have the third and final modifier. And here I'm going to disagree with a lot of people as well. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen. Amount of times I've heard and I've read in quite highbrow, borderline academic commentaries that somehow this is abracadabra stuff. I don't buy it. Let me tell you what I mean by abracadabra stuff, okay? Here's a husband. He's not dwelling with his wife as he should. He's not understanding enough. He's not honoring her enough. And there he is, and he's praying that uh, he'll get a promotion at work. And he doesn't get a promotion at work, and he's, darn it, you know what, I've suddenly realized it because I didn't honor my wife enough, and therefore it didn't work out, and my prayers were hindered. Like this kind of magical abracadabra thing, that somehow, oh, I've been praying, been praying for that poor old lady at church to, to be healed from her health condition, and, oh, she's not been healed because I'm not honoring my wife. Like abracadabra, it's kind of, you know, that kind of thing. It's not, that's not the context. This is a direct parallel. This is an inclusio with what happened with women at the beginning of, verse, um, of, the, of the chapter in verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1, really. He says, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of, your, um, of, the, of their wives. Okay? So, what did that say to women? It said this, look, if your husband is a bad husband, if he's not being obedient to the word, if he's not treating you right, you still have to be godly. Will that make him godly? Maybe, maybe not. It might. But it only might if you do the right thing. If you don't do the right thing, if you try and control him, if you give him silent treatment, if you rebuke him, if you try and correct him, if you tell him off, if you get angry and quarrelsome, you can bet you he's not going to change. That's the exact opposite of what you should do. 
So God says, don't do it that way. Do it my way. Follow the example of Christ. A quiet, submissive spirit. Do that, and it might work. Husbands, if you're suffering, if your wife is not living according to verses 1 to 6, and in making your life really miserable, then I imagine your prayers are, Lord, please change her. Please change the situation. Please end this suffering. Please end this pain. Please do something, Lord. Do you want those prayers answered? Don't hinder them. It is pointless saying, God, please change my wife, when God says, you know what? I've got a few suggestions for you we can, that will help your wife here right now. Brilliant. What are they, God? Um, I want you to dwell with her. Don't check out emotionally. Don't run away. Be there. Dwell with your wife. I want you to do so in a way that understands her and her suffering and her pain. To have empathy towards her rather than just be angry with how she's treating you. And I want you to honor her as a co-heir of grace and treat her as I've treated you. Now, I'm just going to pray some more. And it's as if God is saying here in this last statement, but that's pretty pointless. Because that prayer is going to be hindered by the things that you're doing. You're asking me to do one thing, and what I'm telling you to do to help that happen, you're not prepared to do. That's what it means by not having your prayers hindered. And so all of this, all of this leads us to, as it were, a conclusion. A conclusion for verse 7, a conclusion for verses 1 to 6, and these parallels, okay? If you're in a situation where your spouse doesn't give you joy, but gives you hurt, the example we have to follow is the example of Christ. We're not to revile, we're not to speak negatively, we're not to speak lies, and we're certainly not to threaten. We are to show and be a model of gentleness, humility, kindness, care, compassion, and empathy. We are to treat the other person well. Are there distinctives? Yes, there are distinctives. Wives, because they're to submit to their husbands, will express that heart, that humility, that attitude through submission to her husband. She isn't going to try and talk him around. She's going to try and win him without a word. She is going to be who she should be, trusting that God will do the job of changing the husband in his time. And the husband is going to dwell with his wife, not run away, going to fight off that. He's going to dwell with her with all understanding. He's going to dwell with her and honor her as he dwells with her. As a weaker vessel, giving her grace, giving her grace and more grace and more grace. Trusting that the prayers that he has for her transformation, that God is more likely to answer those if he is doing what's right. So yes, there are distinctives, but here are the similarities. You can do what's right no matter how badly you're treated. That when you suffer, your duty is to submit, men and women, to the will of God and to the circumstances of the land that he's caused you to dwell in. And you're to endure faithfully. And maybe if you pray, God would bring change to your spouse. Maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, but maybe not. 
that we will endure faithfully. Because our focus is on Christ, not on our spouse. I think that if you are a spouse and you are in pain and you can let go of the desire to punish, manipulate, change, correct your spouse and to trust yourself to God, that that is a level of spiritual maturity that will produce fruit that even if your spouse never changes will impact the kingdom of God in ways you cannot even begin to comprehend. In which case, God in his sovereign glory has chosen to give us a hardship because he loves us and he wants to accomplish great things through us. The question that we all have, men and women, is are we going to do things our way or are we going to bow the knee before God and trust him? This whole section will wrap up next week. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the marriages of this church. Pray for husbands and for wives. Every husband here has made his wife suffer. Every wife here has hurt her husband. May their hurt be more important to us than our hurt. May our desire to obey you, to embrace the opportunity for spiritual maturity, may it be greater than the sinful desire to change our spouse, to punish our spouse, to correct our spouse, to revile our spouse. And Father, if we have if we've lied, if we've deceived, if we've said things and emotions that aren't true, if we've reviled and spoken, even in truth, in a harsh and aggressive manner, if we've threatened, punished, hurt, lashed out, Father, may there be repentance. And may there be change. And may you be glorified as we seek to mature to the likeness, to the image of your son. And to put aside the immaturity of ungodly emotional responses to difficult situations. Father, we thank you that you're growing in this church. But I beg that you would change us and grow us spiritually. Renew, restore marriages. Bring about changes in husbands and in wives. That through difficult circumstances, you might produce saints that will accomplish great things for your glory. Amen.